Hi, everyone. My name is Chad Nitschke, co-founder and CEO of Bunker, and also host of this podcast, Ready, Set, Work. Ready, Set, Work is a podcast series focused on the future of work, specifically highlighting all different perspectives from the gig economy to on-demand platforms and more. Join us each episode to hear from thought leaders paving the way toward the future of work. All right, so we are back with another episode of Ready, Set, Work. I'm excited to have Peter Johnston joining us today. So Peter is someone that I've known for a while. He's the founder and CEO of Kalo, a freelance management platform uh, that helps some of the world's largest companies manage their freelance and independent workforce. So thanks, Peter, for joining us. It's uh, great to have you here. Yeah, no, likewise. Thank you for yeah being interested in talking. Yeah, definitely. And uh, maybe to kick things off, can you describe a little bit just how Kalo works and just how it facilitates the freelance economy? Yeah, absolutely. So we were, I guess, for lack of a better term, we're a freelancer management platform. We um, we were born out of a pain point um, that I had experienced about five years ago working at Google in that you know, the broader enterprise ecosystem really wasn't set up to manage um, 1099 freelance workers. You know, we, we came from a, a background of working in big enterprises where there was a managed service provider in who really took care of, um, you know, W2 payroll contractors. Obviously, EHR was really owning um, the full-time worker space. And as a design team in Google at the time, it was just really, really difficult to be able to engage a freelance worker, um, not necessarily find a new one, but really we, we had a roster of people that we'd worked with before. and But just the ability to engage them quickly um, and at the pace at which our department and organization wanted to, it was incredibly difficult at a big company like that. And a lot of the infrastructure and processes weren't set up to, you know, onboard them, vet them quickly, get them integrated into the tools that we worked with day to day, um, or even pay them on time. So, you know, our, our reputation as a studio um, was pretty bad at the time. So Kalo today, um, I guess, facilitates, um, you know, quick compliant engagement of, of freelance workforces. Um, really gives large organizations a system of record for the first time um, for the freelance workforce. So everything from visibility um, for the C-level or, you know, simply asking, answering questions like, well, how many freelancers are there in the business today? It's, you know, very, it's often referred to as kind of like the, the invisible shadow workforce. So we really help bring that visibility to C-level and, and central functions, but also allow teams to quickly deploy and engage freelance talent in their network. No, it's really interesting. And so you were at, you said you were at uh, Google and you kind of saw the pain point from their perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, what inspired me to kind of start the company was, um, was yeah, pure personal pain point. And, and some of the big ones being, you know, we, we would, I think most can relate to the fact that, you know, a lot of teams are probably sat in spreadsheets today for, for, for managing their freelancers. Um, the central functions like contingent workforce, procurement, strategic sourcing, probably think they have a relatively, you know, good, good idea of, of how those teams are engaging the freelancers or how many there are in the company. But, you know, the reality was that it was probably going to take two to four weeks to get a freelancer onboarded at my previous companies. Um, when we did get them onboarded, um, for the most part, the project was coming to an end and we'd already started working with them. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, even if we focused in a little bit on that onboarding, you know, that onboarding piece being so painful, you know, today, that made sense, that world made sense for working with a contractor that was going to spend three to six months on site, like next to you. 
because um, the, the time pressures weren't really there. But the reality is, in particular, in the technology and, and the media industries that we focus on, um, the need to engage a freelancer literally tomorrow, um, in particular across like production, creative, editorials, um, you know, teams, it's very real. And if central functions are taking, you know, really any longer than 24 hours to onboard a freelancer, background check them, um, and get them access to the right tools to do the job, um, you know, productivity suffers. So it really was a case of you know two to four weeks to get on to, to onboard someone, and and I can't speak for myself, but I do know that a lot of our customers today, before we arrive, a big pain point uh, in the within the compliance department or the contingent workforce department is, look, the teams are just going around us because we can't keep up. You know, we we want a solution to apply and enable them to deploy talent quickly, um, and right now today because. Their only option is to come to us, and it's going to take two to two to three weeks. They're creating what we refer to then as backdoor transactions, so um, that which introduces liability on the business. They're literally starting to work with freelancers directly and book them on a credit card, which is a huge problem, obviously for legal teams, particularly in California. Um, so the onboarding piece was a huge pain point. I mean, as a designer and a small team in London, we just wanted to get access to talent quickly. Um, I think the other massive pain point was obviously. You know, the, the, this workforce is totally decentralized and distributed, and it's incredibly powerful. And, you know, the, the issue with the centralization of procurement contingent workforce functions today really is that they are centralized, and that requires playing ping pong. And when the volume and velocity of, you know, freelancer engagements taking place at the line of business level is just so high and, and, and such high velocity, they can't keep up and processes break down and it introduces friction and that wastes time and, and, and drives inefficiency. So um, I think, you know, the, even with it centralized, once we got them in the door, it was incredibly hard to get them integrated day to day into tools because quite frankly, there was just no established procedures around, well, we know how we're going to treat on-site contractors, but we really don't know how we're going to treat this one freelancer who's going to do a video project for two days. Um, so just the, the overhead and the administrative burden just simply to use someone for a two-day project at a large company is incredibly high today. Um, and then the final personal pain point, I guess, around you know, what inspired me to start it was um, reputation with um, high-end talent is, is the most paramount thing, particularly here in the Bay Area um, and in a lot of kind of you know, um, big, big cities. And if you don't pay freelancers quickly, um, and are going to treat them the same way you're paying, you know, a vendor that you're paying on 90 day terms. They just can't live their life that way. And our reputation as a design studio started to suffer. Um, Google really became the logo that wasn't worth it. Um, in terms of freelancers were just like, well, I can, I get that it's Google, but I can take a project with a more nimble, smaller company that's willing to pay me quicker. And, and really, we were asking freelancers to sacrifice a lot and be on our standard sort of net 30 or net 60 day terms. And the reality is that freelancers and independent workers need a lot more stability when it comes to, um, to income. Um, I mean, a lot of the pros of the freelancer world are the freedom of getting to work where you want and work on exciting new projects and varied projects, but they still need that stability. And, and we were not able to offer them that as a big company. So all of these pain points just really amalgamated into enough of a reason that I felt passionate enough to, to go out and try and solve. Yeah, that's great. It's funny. Um, I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, but uh, part of the genesis of Bunker. Uh, so my background is from the insurance industry and, you know, kind of had this idea, hey, we want to make, you know, insurance easier for freelancers and independent workers. And 
my wife is in HR, and she was actually working for Twitter at the time. Um, and she kind of shared exactly what you just described, right, where you were trying to onboard independent workers, the manager was trying to do so, and it was just really cumbersome and slow to do that. And, you know, she kind of told me, she's like, why don't you just go to the enterprise and talk to the enterprise about just making it easier and streamlining it. And that's, it's funny because that's ultimately kind of what led us down the path of, um, you know, it's a different problem, I think, than what you're solving, but kind of the same pain point. Yeah, no, no, I mean, completely. And, and in fact, what Bunker does comes up a lot. I mean, you know, the fact that, um, it, you know, it's a low bar today for the improvements to be made, I think, in like, <laughs> yeah. improvements, but, you know, it comes up a lot that, uh, you know, if a contingent workforce or, you know, uh, strategic sourcing professional at Twitter can even tell the number of freelancers they have in the business because they've tried to avoid the managed service provider put in place because of the time constraints, they definitely don't know if they have the right insurances. Um, that, that's for sure. And that comes, yeah. up, that comes up a lot at the moment in, 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 in all of our conversations is, okay, step one, let's get visibility over them. Step two, what does it mean? Like, what's our onboarding criteria look like? And, you know, insurances, particularly professional liability insurance in California is number one. Um, along with background checks. I mean, I can't even tell you how many customers, how many prospective customers we meet that ask, well, cool, are they, are they interacting with, you know, your company, your people? And so you're background checking them, right? And they're like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're probably going to need insurance. They're probably going to need to be background checked um, before they interact with another human. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge issue. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm curious, you mentioned, um, you know, some examples, I think, of why top talent is choosing to be independent. But, you know, just based on the users that are on the Kalo platform, like, what do you, what do you guys see and in, in hear in terms of this is why workers want to be independent? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, I think first and foremost, when, and I, I, often, I guess I'll take a step back and sort of, there's a spectrum, right, of it's kind of, called the gig economy and and I, I love and appreciate all the meaning behind the term but on, on the spectrum of sort of the freelancers that work on the Kalo platform and, and engage with with the, the enterprises that use our software it, it's it's on a different scale of you know uber drivers and you know people delivering your food um it's much more on the sort of like like we'll work with IDEO today and like we're the, the system of record there so a lot of those freelancers are and, and, and are billing you know thousands of dollars a day for the projects that they work on um, to Google and some of their freelance engineers. And I think the biggest reason is because when they get to that level of talent and when their skills are so specialized and so in demand, they realize that they can not only earn more money, but the benefits are the benefits of having that freedom to, to really only use their superpowers and not have to deal with like the usual administrative burden of a full-time job. It's kind of like the, you know, are we really using our, um, are we really using our hard skills more than 25% of our day jobs? Probably not. There's a lot of kind of like ops and back and forth and admin. And I think the biggest reason, and we survey our freelancers pretty regularly, and one of the biggest reasons is still just like freedom of choice to work on what we want um, and to work. And in particular, what's becoming bigger, bigger, and might you know speak more to a macro trend of just, I think, I think everyone in the world, because of kind of the state of everything right now, particularly in America, they want a little bit more control and independence over their own lives. Um, and, and a say in what they do day to day. Um, so I think there's something, you know, slightly bigger driving a lot of it, not to mention, obviously, there's, you know, um, there's tax and, and pay benefits to, to being independent. But I think from, for us, the biggest theme is just wanting to work on something meaningful and, and, and realizing they can, they can charge a premium if they are a superstar. Yep. No, that definitely makes sense. And it's certainly consistent with what we hear as well. And 
Uh, I'm curious, kind of the flip side of that question. So, and you don't need to share like names or anything, but I'm curious if you've got any kind of war stories uh, for like what not to do if you're an enterprise in terms of, you know, maybe making it unappealing to freelancers. Yeah, well, it's funny. Well, it's funny you mentioned Twitter, actually, with the, you said your wife worked there before. Yeah. Well, you know, there are a number of, I mean, we partner with a lot of, a lot of managed service providers. I know that when we were in, we, we don't work with Twitter today, but we were initially brought in for a consultation and, you know, some of the pain points of the, the creative team there were really the, um, look, the only option, it's se seemingly the only option is that everyone's got to be W, you know, defaulted to W2 and creatives don't want, don't want that. Like imagine the, the burden of like the very fact of the freelancer economy is that you get to hop around from project to project that you want to work on. And you and, and there and it comes with a lot of the benefits of being on a 1099. And the, rea the reality is when large companies like Twitter or others that you know are really putting a, a service provider in place that um, whose motivations are you know revenue based um, mm -hmm. and not really aligned with the creative studios or or the design teams or the or the engineering teams is that they're going to default the W2 payroll because of a seemingly um, inherent you know compliance risk. And the reality is. A lot of these workers will will refuse. They and they had, they did. They they said we're starting starting to see that freelancers are refusing to engage us if they want W two because the last thing a freelancer wants, particularly someone who can pick the projects they want to work on, is to be being asked to go through the administrative burden and tax complications of being W two payroll by multiple businesses at once. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And until there's really some sort of consistency or standardization across businesses in terms of like the understanding, an agreement upon the fact that there needs to be a consistent way to engage a 1099 worker. I mean, it's really up to today, it's up to the subjectivity and the risk profile of the business. Um, and I think right now, a lot of the risk profile will default to do anything to protect our employment liability. Um, and if there's a managed service provider in place that isn't strategically aligned, I, like I, I know Andrew Carpey talks a lot about this in, in his blog, but if the, MS, the MSPs have a have a you know an opportunity to be more strategically aligned with the business and focus on productivity and reputation, but I mean the reality is they make a lot more money if these workers are W two payroll, and that is the freelancers do not want that. They they decided to step away from you know what came with being W two payroll, so that's a that's a huge huge piece we see um, see freelancers wanting to avoid. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I'm curious, you touched on this a little bit. So onboarding, and um, I don't know to what extent you guys kind of get involved in onboarding, but what are, I guess, some of the differences or even the similarities between, you know, onboarding an employee or a freelancer for an enterprise? Yeah, I mean, I think the on consistent onboarding of freelancers is really tough at a large company because there's, there's a big, big lack of, you know, there's just a gap between the legal understanding of what a freelancer is and the terminology that is thrown around to business. And I'm sure you're the same, but like, I can't even tell you how many different terms we've heard used for the, for, for an independent worker. <laughs> and we'll go in, we brought into a company, but like, well, we're using contractors for this. And I was like, I'm going to stop you there. Like what's, what are they actually doing? What's the nature of the work? Like, are they contractor? Do you have the same understanding of that as you do freelancer or as you do temp worker? And the lack of consistency there just introduced a ton of, um, a ton of onboarding issues, and I think the our you know enterprises I think 
are struggling to really identify because it is complex. I mean, you know, it varies state by state, particularly in, in, you know, in the US. And it's really hard to come up, particularly as the laws are changing seemingly like the wind right now. It's in incredibly hard to come up with a consistent way to engage a freelance worker um, and, 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 and ensure that it's compliant. But I think our, our big, the biggest thing that we spend a lot of time on is really trying to kneel down with customers what are you comfortable with being your, um, you know, your onboarding criteria for a 1099 worker? And then once we have that, let's translate that into language that means that the hiring managers that work at a line of business level can actually understand it. Um, so that it doesn't feel like this legal definition that they have to like learn. Like not everyone's a legal expert, you know, and employment lawyers are few and far between, like good ones anyway in the Bay Area. So um, I think there's a yeah, huge, huge piece of work to be done there. I mean, I'm curious what Bunker has seen in terms of like helping streamline those onboarding requirements, but it's where we spend a lot of our time. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. And part of it is just maybe even like a generational shift, right? So like convincing attorneys and getting, you know, several different stakeholders um, involved into the discussion to align um, just expectations around what success looks like. So, you know, it's not, Three, like from our perspective, right? It's not three or four attorneys kind of going back and forth on what insurance should be required for each individual engagement. It's like, hey, let's talk about the services that the freelancer is providing. And then based on that, understand like what is the exposure to the company and then set something that is reasonable for everyone. And um, yeah, it just, like you said, it takes a while to have those discussions and even just getting kind of the right people to the table uh, just takes a while to, to do that. And um, it's a good segue too, because I'm really curious on what do you think, you know, so if you had to fast forward the clock five years from now, like, what do you think the kind of the freelance economy or the future of work, uh, looks like? Huh. Um, how long have you got, man? Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends if the politicians play ball. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. know. Um, so I think that there has been a lot recently in the press around, you know, I think we should be thankful, but not so thankful to the Ubers and Lyfts of the world for putting the spotlight on the labor economy and, and, and the workforce in the US. Um, so thankful in a way that, you know, it's, it's getting some attention. And finally, I think this, um, but, but, but attention's in the, wrong, in the wrong place. And I think that for me will, will have a big say on what the, future, what the future looks like. So I have an idea of what I think might happen and what, an idea of what I would love to happen when it comes to what, what the future looks like for, for this workforce. So, I mean, today it seems like seemingly you wake up every, you know, every morning and there's a new article about how some state is teaming up to, to crack down on you know, illegal engagement of independent workers. And the reality is that the workers, we need new definitions of these workers. The fact that independent contractor you know, connected from a tax perspective to a 1099 is the bucket of professional that is, you know, that, I mean, it's, it must seem a little odd that like a Lyft driver will be under the same bucket is like a professional freelance engineer that might, you know, contract at Facebook, for example. Um, and I think that as long as there's lack of definition, literally up as high as like, you know, a political, from a political standpoint and a legal standpoint, um, on those workers, I think that we're going to continue to see these fires popping up in terms of different states deciding to introduce different, you know, initiatives to kind of crack down on it. When really, um, there needs to be—I mean, the, the future of work is here. Like, it's not this—you know—used to see. It's not this. Oh, it's going to happen in 2020 thing. It's like no, it's—it's it's like it's literally happening right now. It's today, and I think that 
until someone really steps up and, and decides, okay, cool, there has to be, it can't just be binary. It can't be you're either a full-time worker or you're not. And then within the not category falls everything, you know, falls these, these contractors that'll work three months at a time, these, you know, more freelance related workers that might do a project for two to three days. Um, and then these kind of gig workers on the, on the side of Uber and Lyft. So I think until that, I think if that, if the suppression of, of these workers continues to happen due to lack of definitions from more political and legal standpoint, I, I actually don't know. I mean, I, I hope that we don't, I hope that we see the growth of it, but I'm, I'm skeptical. I think the, what I, what I'm hopeful for is that it's complete that this, this, this incredibly powerful, positive, you know, emergence in a new independent decentralized workforce is just going to kick ass. I mean, like this is the future, right? I mean, our ability to work with, you know, individuals that aren't tethered to, to being, you know, in the same location provisioned in the building, like that's not necessarily from the U S like, dude, that's why we put a man on Mars. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think our ability to connect talent that way. And just at the moment, there's just too much control and too much structure and, 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 and too much archaic, you know, legal complications over these different types of workers. What I want to see is a world where in five to 10 years where literally, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm going to, I'll do the seals bit here. You know, our, our, our trademark tagline is literally work with anyone anywhere. And so that's what we aspire to. And I think everyone, yourselves included, you know, other great companies like Catalan and, um, you know, trying to move, move it forward. I think our, our job is to enable that future of, talent should be able to engage talent regardless of border boundary or state by state complications there should be a worldwide you know currency or you know and worldwide fluidity to being able to engage talent and when i'm not just talking like state by state in the u.s i mean like country by country i think productivity will come from the best minds being put together i literally didn't say the best minds we put in the same room because <laughs> i think mm -hmm. the opportunity is that we can engage this talent anywhere um, at any time and the the administrative and legal burdens of, of a workforce like that regardless of state or, or geography can can empower us to like to bet bigger and better things i think the reality today is that we just need way i mean i mean you know you, you've been in this what, bunker for like a few few years like three four years yeah about three years almost three years yeah yeah and, and same, same with us you know we're coming up on our on our on our fourth anniversary and um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a trillion dollar market. It just needs more funding and yeah. it needs more funding. It needs more companies trying to tackle it from different angles, like us from a system of record perspective, you guys from an insurance and onboarding requirements perspective and, um, and, and the marketplaces have a big role to play too, you know? Um, so I have, I have a view of what we're the, the reality in front of us and I have a view of what I would like it to become. I'd love to hear your perspective on, on, uh, on both as well, given you're fighting the good fight too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, I mean, the future is already here. And so all of these things are happening today and they're going to continue to happen. Right. So there's there's momentum kind of moving in this direction of independent workers. And like that momentum is not going to stop um, even in, uh, you know, like lacking the right legislation or uh, having the right state laws that are in place. Like um, I think that'll that could potentially alter the momentum or uh change it but ultimately like you said i think it's more you know the the laws and the regulation that's in place could be an empowerment to what's already happening or it could be kind of a slight hindrance but either way it's it's already happening and so 
Um, it's interesting, like the Dynamex case, you know, which gets talked about a lot in California, you know, it, it, in, in print, it, you would read that and think like, whoa, that's going to have significant implications in the state of California. But the reality of is, you know, people haven't really changed their behavior all that much uh, following that. And so um, I think, you know, to your point, like there's a lot that needs to be caught up on from a regulatory and from just a, re a legislative perspective. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how long that takes, but it's like, this is already happening. Um, and it's, you can't really stop that momentum. Um, but, but may, may, maybe I'm too Pollyanna about it. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh... You know, the case that you just mentioned, I mean, that was probably one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen. And right. I mean, and again, back to the sort of like, you know, the, 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 the differentiation and definitions that we need from a gig worker to like a professional freelance worker is that that law is, I mean, for, to an extent, I think what they were trying to accomplish was that, you know, there needs to probably be a little bit more rigor and a little bit more control and taxation of gig economy businesses like Uber and Lyft, who at the moment enjoy like an incredibly handsome margin on the fact that they are allowed to engage their, their, their effectively their product is their drivers. And they're allowed to engage them, um, not W2 payrolling them, meaning the margins for their business are, are incredibly attractive for venture capitalists. Um, and I totally get that. But what that dynamics ruling effectively did was completely disregarded the fact that it was going to impact every other professional freelance vertical and industry within California. So if you look at that definition, like per the usual course of business, like if a freelancer is doing work for the usual course of the, of the, of the business, like think about what that's going to do with the publishing industry in California. I mean, I know it's a lot larger in places like New York and, but you know, you, it, it goes without reason that a lot of the publishing industry is surviving today and because of their ability to engage freelance writers, but the writers create content, the content is their business model. So I think that for me is like what you said about that, that Kias is like perfect summary of why there is a very nearsighted view being taken on the rules that are changing, even in a, you know, a legal legislative minefield like California. Um, I think that, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd say it, but, you know, coming into this from a designer background and, and getting started and really just wanting to empower the, particularly the creative and design world to, to engage these workers quickly and be pro productive and, um, you know, knowing that I was going to need a lawyer every time in the meeting <laughs> yeah. to get it done was, it is a learning. And, and believe me, it's something we've had to adapt to. I mean, we work with a lot of the world's like, fortune 500 businesses and, and have become their system for this workforce. But there is always, there, there's always a lawyer in the room and there's always the compliance people and there's always the HR and the strategic sourcing. And, but the reality is the world is taking this, if you said it's this force, it's never going to stop growing. And the reality is the engagement of these workers is not happening at a centralized level. So it, it's, it's a little bit too powerful for, I think, any given the numbers, given the growth rate, it was a 35% year over year of the freelancer economy in the US. Um, the 2027 is predicted it being the, you know, the year at which there's more freelance, more independently class workers than there is full-time workers. I mean, I dare say it, but there's just no way legislators and or enterprises will be able to keep up unless they unless they start embracing more tools. And there's no way they can unless there's more funding put into more companies like us. So no. Yeah, and I'm curious. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit here, you mentioned uh, designers as being, you know, kind of the one of the one of the skill sets that you see quite a bit of on the on the Kalo platform. Um, what are some of the more common types of workers? And then, 
Um, also, maybe what are some of the more surprising uh, types of work that you guys see in your platform? And um, to give you some context, we recently uh, interviewed someone and they were talking about goat yoga instructors uh, being in high demand as independent workers. And so I'm, I'm curious what you've seen. Yeah, that's a great question. I've seen it on my mind. We've seen everything. So we <laughs> just hit a quarter, just hit a quarter of a million um, freelancers onboarded, which is a big milestone for us. But Oh man, I mean, so we focus, we work only with technology, um, technology businesses. So meaning, you know, we initially, when we started had everything from construction firms to hospitals wanting to use us to manage their, their 1099 workforces, but so we only work with technology, technology first businesses. Um, so, I mean, but it varies. I mean, obviously you have the usual, you'll have your freelance designers, engineers, creatives, anyone building anything for the online world. You know, but then you'll see, um, we'll see like, when we had a guy, this is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time, a lot of these workers have a full-time job, but they, they, they do a lot of, you know, kind of freelance work on the side. So we, we had a dude from NASA, you know, that was coming to speak at one of our, our large enterprise customers, um, was added to the system. Um, you know, we've had freelance violinists, literally, you know, going around, like we're doing different, you know, these Bay Area companies are, we're, we're all fans of our, our happy hours and our, our <laughs> employees well and play music in the lobby. So, I mean, it, it, it just varies, but mainly we focus on the digital space. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. And so we talked about, you know, kind of the future of the freelance economy and what that looks like. And what do you think? In so this is more of a question for, you know, kind of the makers that are the listeners. So people that are out there thinking about building something for the freelance economy. Um, what do you think some of the biggest gaps are that still exist that are kind of ripe for uh, innovation? Oh, man. What a, actually, what a question. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, we always thought we talk about this with our investors and our board a lot about how you know, there's so much, it's just green field right now. There's so much we could do as a business and trying to work on what we should do and what we should focus on. And, um, is, uh, it's just, it's, it's tough. I, I think there's obviously, and I'll not spend too much time on it cause we chatted a lot about it, but there's a seeming lack of compliance tools available mm -hmm. um, in the space that to help organizations automate and understand that. Um, you know, we have, we have our own, but I think, um, we all, we always, you know, we always end up partnering with compliance, other compliance companies and more and more service-based providers. I think there's a lot of um, potential um, for for disruption in that, in that compliance space. I just don't even know if a startup can keep up with the amount of legislative changes that are happening. Um, I think the marketplace space is super interesting, though. You know, I think that unfortunately, the lack of funding in marketplaces is kind of, is, is pretty is pretty incredible. You know, and I think different marketplaces really struggle to scale beyond like certain skill sets or, or certain geographies. And I just don't think anyone has really cracked the, um, the providing an excellent marketplace piece. Um, I know LinkedIn made like an interesting foray into, into with ProFinder recently. Um, I know that Upwork is used for like, you know, particular types of outsourcing of, of sort of like lower skilled tasks. Um, and then you'll have like these super niche, like really, really specialized, um, Kind of like talent marketplaces that are localized to a, to a vertical and to a geography, um, like TopTal, for example, in, in, in the Bay Area that uses that, that really focuses on like engineers and design. I just think there's so much more that could be done in the marketplace space. Um, that it's and, and I think that eventually there there really needs to be a clash between the traditional staffing agencies and and marketplaces. Um, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, you know, uh, we're starting to see it a little bit. Like Matt Pierce, I don't know if you you know Matt. Mm -hmm. you know Matt. Yeah, Matt's great. Yeah, I'm a big big Matt fan. Yeah. 
Yeah, Matt, I mean, Matt's seen some really interesting stuff um, in the healthcare space in terms of you know replacing that traditional um, that traditional model of of staffing you know um, healthcare professionals in, inside hospitals. And I think we need way more of that. You know, way more of those guys that are willing to bring the talent to the. I mean, we focus purely on the technology. So we'll, I think I just think I mean the marketplace is so exciting. There's 55 million freelancers in the U.S. Um, and so many areas that need um, that need disruption there. I'm curious. I mean, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I mean, it's interesting because you look at the data and there's just so many, you know, independent worker transactions that occur offline, right? I mean, kind of the offline world of independent work has existed for a long time. And I mean, that that element of the workforce is growing as well. And so I completely agree with what you said around, I think the trends are just more like from a marketplace perspective, specialization, right? So you have, you know, what Matt is doing with Trusted and, you know, really, really focusing on specific types of workers um, that need to work and want to work independently. Um, and then, you know, kind of matching those with the right enterprises. Um, and, you know, and you have platforms like Upwork that are incredibly successful, you know, an IPO coming up. Um, and, and, but I think more of the trend is around specialization and really finding kind of what are those specific types of workers and how do we enable them to work uh, independently? So now I totally agree with that. Yeah, just, I mean, any more full-time people wanting to go freelance, get, get, get on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's the best way to engage with uh, Kalo? So if you're an enterprise out there that needs help or if you're a worker that um, ultimately wants to, to, to be on Kalo. Yeah, good good question. So we're asked that we're actually we have more freelancers come inbound to us than than enterprises. And although mm -hmm. you can't get on Kalo actually if you're not invited by an enterprise, because um, really we, we we don't focus on any marketplace dynamics. We focus on you know, giving the, the businesses the solutions to manage. So for the most part, you know the it's the it's the companies inviting the freelancers on. But um, but yeah, I mean we we we, we were fortunate enough now to work with a lot of the big big technology guys and super excited about it. So. Just um, happy to happy to work, and, and I think if there's any message, I think it's it's the probably you know as I mentioned at the start, I started the business because of personal pain points within the enterprise, and then I'm and then and I've been a freelancer myself during university, you know, 12 years ago, and I think now I'm kind of doing it for for other reasons, which is I just think this idea of people having complete control over, over their own destiny and having this, this this independent lifestyle and workforce is incredibly incredibly inspiring and. Um, I say, you know, I say that working working eighty hours a week for one company, but I, I just think it's it's a lifestyle that is only going to be picked up more and more. So, um, I think that my ask is just of the enterprises that that currently consider, to, I guess, first of all, kind of wake up a little and and see that there's a very big difference between freelance workers that you know um, that might not come on site and aren't provisioned into your building and and to start treating them like first class citizens because and I'm sure you see this all the time, but they are just not. They're an invisible workforce. They're they're either held at arm's length through an MSP or they're paid in 90 days. And you know the reality is, as this trend shifts, if businesses do not get ahead of this in a way that helps them engage these freelance workers and treat them well, talent retention is going to be impacted. Productivity is impacted. When that starts happening, you know those businesses start to lose. So my ask is to start really treating them like first class citizens and and, and going from there. Yep. No, I definitely agree. And I mean, there's uh, ultimately, I mean, it's capitalism, right? So, I mean, with unemployment at, you know, kind of three to 4%, like workers have a lot of options and a lot of choices. And so 
whether it's a W-2 employee or an independent worker, like, um, you know, workers have choices. And so if you're going to make it really prohibitive for somebody to join as an independent worker, like they'll probably just go someplace else. And that's not what the, not what the enterprise wants. Exactly. That, that is, that, that is it. And, and that, that can only, this is the thing. It's win-win. If the legislators get on board, it's win-win. The businesses will be able to engage the talent and create talent and retain them and the freelancers get treated better. So I, I just don't see it as, 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 as there's no losing part of this, the equation in the freelancer economy for me. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Peter, for sharing your perspective on uh, this episode of Ready, Set, Work. And uh, thanks again to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in and hope you can join us again on our next episode. We love to hear from our listeners. If you have ideas, thoughts for guests, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please reach out. Tweet us at BunkerHQ using the hashtag ReadySetWork or email us directly at hello at buildbunker.com. All right, back to work.